choir, and thank you for that great special singing this morning. Uh, we didn't work it out, but what she just shared with us in song uh, perfectly goes with what the Lord has laid on my heart to share with you this morning. We've already read our text. Again, it comes from 1 Samuel chapter 7, so if you've closed your Bibles, I would ask you to reopen them to the passage, and while I won't reread that whole passage, it'd be good if you had it open in front of you as we make reference to these verses through the message this morning. I don't know about you, but when I was a child growing up in a Baptist church, sometimes I didn't always understand a certain lyric or a certain word of a lyric in some of the old hymns we used to sing. Any of you used to struggle with that? I sure did, because back then, one of our favorite songs from the old Greenback Broadman hymnal was entitled, Bringing in the Sheaves. How many of you remember singing, Bringing in the Sheaves? I remember being a little boy, and when we got to that chorus, I would just sing out to the top of my lungs what I thought the word was, Bringing in the Sheeps. So we would come rejoicing, bringing in the sheeps. You know what? Sheeps actually work there, don't they? Because we do serve a God who Jesus said would leave the ninety and nine and go out and search for that one lost sheep. So I used to sing that, bringing in the sheep. I'll tell you another one. In my earliest experience in church, I actually went to one church from the time I was born till the time I was 10 years old. My dad was the pastor, and my uncle was a member of the church. And often we would sing the invitation hymn, Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. For the world, I thought it was Savior, Savior, hear my uncle cry. And every time we'd sing that hymn, true story, you can't make this kind of thing up, I would look up uh, to my Uncle Paul, who was a faithful member of the church, and just to see if he were <laughs> sitting up there or standing up there crying. So sometimes we do that. We misunderstand a word. But at other times, it's not that we misunderstand a particular word that we sing. It's just that we're ignorant of its meaning. Now, I didn't just call you stupid. Sometimes we're ignorant. There's a difference between the two. One of my favorite movies from years gone by was Loretta Lynn, Coal Miner's Daughter. Some of you remember watching it. Sissy Spacek, I believe it was, played Loretta Lynn in that movie. And I remember a particular scene where she and Du were uh, in a radio uh, studio, I think probably over in eastern Kentucky somewhere, and she said something that was a little bit off color and they had to shut down the interview and ran her out of the studio. And as she was on the way out, the DJ said, woman, you are stupid. Well, I remember the movie. She threw her hand on her hip and looked over at him and say, said this, mister, I may be a little ignorant, but I ain't stupid. There's a difference between stupidity and ignorance, right? Uh, ignorance just simply means that, that you don't know something. But there's a particular word 
in one of our favorite old hymns of the church that we've sung over and over again. And frankly, until probably I was in Bible college, I really didn't understand what the word meant. You know the hymn, it says this, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I come. It's from that great hymn of our faith, He leadeth me. Here I raise my Ebenezer. How many times have you sung that? And when you've sung it, do you really know what you have just said to the Lord? Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I come. We're praying for revival. I hope you're praying for revival. Next week's going to be a great week. Our good friend, Brother Eddie, Eddie and I were classmates together many years ago, and dear friend of mine, and Brother Eddie will come and he will preach the truth of God's Word because that's what Eddie Nation does. But listen, Eddie Nation cannot come here and bring revival. He can preach the truth, but revival happens when we open up our hearts to the Lord and allow God to move in a way that maybe we've not allowed Him to move in our lives in a long time. And here is my prayer for each and every one of you for Bible Baptist Church, for homecoming day next week and revival that extends beyond that. I hope that each person in this congregation will be able to raise an Ebenezer, be able to say, by the help of the Lord, I've arrived. And you're going to understand this word as we go through this passage this morning. Not only will you understand this unique word Ebenezer, but hopefully you'll also understand a more negative word that you have to get down before you appreciate what Ebenezer is, and that's the word Ichabod. In this passage that we've read together today, Israel, the people of God, move from Ichabod to Ebenezer. That's the title of my message, From Ichabod to Ebenezer, A True Repentance Story. Paul Harvey Some of you remember Paul Harvey used to be on the radio and he would tell this story and then at the end of it he would say, and now you know the rest of the story. Well, I remember reading a book. My father was a big Paul Harvey fan. He had his book and he left it for me and a couple years ago I read through the book and Paul Harvey in his book (laughs) wrote down one of his favorite comical stories And and here's the way it went. He said that in a transcontinental flight from one end of the U.S. to another, uh, there was this beautiful airline attendant, a stewardess, as we used to call them. And she was working really hard to take care of all the passengers on the flight. But two men made it particularly difficult because they hit on her the whole time. One was at the front of the plane, the other was at the back of the plane, but she did the best she could do and just continued that whole flight to do her job. And one of those men, the one sitting at the front of the plane, got particularly forward before they landed and actually gave her the key 
to his apartment and put a little note on there that said, I'll be there at 7 o'clock, come on in, and just gave it to her. Well, she thought about that for a moment, and she took his key. But you know what she did? She walked to the back of the plane and handed it to that other man that had been hitting on her the whole time and winked at him and said, don't be late. (laughs) Now, I would love to know the rest of the story there, wouldn't you? Uh, But I'm not going to leave you out of the story this morning. I want you to understand what's going on here. With the ancient Israelites, God gave them a certain beautiful thing that was to remind them of his presence. And God, in this era of grace, doesn't work quite like this anymore, but back then, he gave them a tangible reminder of his work of mercy and grace among them. It's what we call the Ark of the Covenant. I don't have time to get into all the background of the Ark of the Covenant, but, but you know this, on top of it was the mercy seat, and at particular times, God would manifest himself. He would condescend. He would come down and, and occupy that mercy seat. And so the Ark of the Covenant of God was given by God to his ancient people, Israel, just to remind them of his presence and also his manifest power. Well, you know that Israel had an arch enemy in the Philistines. And at this particular time in the history of Israel, things had become really, really bad. Because if you go back and read 1 Samuel 4, just make a note of that. Don't be reading it on me right now. I want you here. But 1 Samuel chapter 4, you're going to find out that uh, in the battle with the Philistines, things got really bad. In fact, the Philistines had slain the fighting men of Israel. And not only had they done that, but listen to this. They had captured the Ark of the Covenant. Well, messenger from the battle goes back to Shiloh where the chief priest of Israel is and he tells the chief priest the story of what had happened there with the Philistines. And so Eli hears the story that Israel's fighting men, a great many of them had been killed by the Philistines, that his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, had been slain by the Philistines. And Eli seems to take all of that in, but then when he hears the news that the Philistines have also captured the Ark of the Covenant, Scripture tells us that he falls backward, and right there in that moment, Eli, the priest of the Lord, dies. Well, he had a daughter-in-law who was Phineas's wife that was expecting a child. And with the news of all that, she went into labor and she birthed a son. And she gave that son that name Ichabod, which simply means the glory has departed. 
So with the news that the Ark of the Covenant had been captured by the Philistines, the era of the Israelites at this time is the era of Ichabod. The glory is gone. Now I could say so much more about that, but we need to get into the meat of the text. But let me just say very simply that in a lot of ways, it seems like the glory of God has departed His church. And I don't think that's particularly the case with Bible Baptist Church. But always remember this, a church is a really complex thing. I've said it before, let me say it one more time. A church is not a building, it's not a budget, it's not a program, but a church is made of people. Listen to me clearly. If this facility, this wonderful facility in which we meet this morning, if it were to burn to the ground tonight, Bible Baptist Church would be alive and well tomorrow. Because you didn't come to church today, you are the church. And so a church is a composite of the people who make it up, the members of the church. And I want you to ask yourself that question this morning. Like that era in the time that we're looking at here from 1 Samuel, does it seem like the glory of God is not what it ought to be in your life today? Has there been a time when you've been closer to the Lord than you are right now? We used to use a term, and you don't hear it that often in churches these days, uh, but I think it's a good term. It's called being backslidden, which means there was a moment when I was closer to the Lord than I am right now, but some stuff has happened in my life. Maybe I've made some poor choices. Perhaps there's unconfessed sin in my heart. And because of that, I'm not where I used to be. Here's the big deal. If there was ever one moment in your life when you were closer to Jesus than you are right now, you're backslidden. Right? Just true. If there was a moment when you were closer to the Lord than you are right now, you're backslidden and you're in a place of Ichabod. But the good news is, because we serve a God of infinite grace. We can come out of Ichabod and we can arrive at a place of Ebenezer. So the people of God had missed the Ark of the Covenant. Our text tells us in verse 2, for 20 years, been removed from them. And they began to cry for it. They began to long for it. And may I ask you this morning, do you long for a movement of God in your life and in your church? Do you long for it in the way that you long for a meal when you're hungry? Do you long for it in the way that you long to see someone who's dear to you that's been absent from your life for a while? Do you long for the Lord today.
The good news is we don't have to live in that longing, but we can move out of this area of Ichabod into an area of Ebenezer. And so in this story, I don't want you to miss it this morning, the Lord gives us a very clear path to revival. Now I just said the word there, revival. What is revival? Well, I think sometimes in, in our Baptist culture, we've come to misunderstand revival. Because often we think of revival as a time where we're going to emphasize soul winning and we're going to bring lost people into the church. They're going to hear the gospel. They're going to respond. People are going to get saved and then we're going to have some baptisms. Now that's great. (laughs) Now don't misunderstand me at all. I pray to God that in a movement we would be ushered into great days of evangelism and baptisms, and discipleship. Guess what? You need it. We need it. Mount Vernon needs it. Rockcastle County, Kentucky, needs for people to get right with God and be saved. And I pray that happens. But honestly, that's really not revival. You've heard it said like this before. You can't get revived until first of all, you've been vibed. Which simply means this revival is really for the people of God. It's for the church. It's a time when we lay aside some things and and we begin to move from that longing of being closer to the Lord to it being fulfilled. We repent of sin. We lay aside idols. We get serious with God. And we come back into a right relationship with Him. So if you want revival, let me show you where it starts according to this story. First of all, you recognize your sin. Notice that in verse 3 of the text that we read together this morning, 1 Samuel chapter 7, Samuel says to the people of Israel, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and the Ashtoreth from among you and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve Him only and He will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. Notice what Samuel does here. He points out Israel's sin of idolatry. Now, You know this when you study the Old Testament. The people of God, Israel, uh, had this cycle that they lived in. You know, at moments, everything would be right because they were walking with the Lord. They were fulfilling their end of the covenant. They were being the people of God. And then at other times, they had this tendency to, to move away from God and to begin to serve idols, false gods. I won't go into a lot of details, but let me help you understand this, because sometimes we just don't get it. How in the world could you know the true and living God and turn your back on Him and go to these idols that are conjured by the human imagination? How do you do that? Well... 
it's not that they didn't believe that God was God and that they started believing that these idols were God, but they liked to worship the idols because of some things, some gratification of the flesh that it brought into their lives. And I'll leave it at that. And so these local gods, these Canaanite false gods of Baal and Ashtoreth, were popular among the people of Israel. And so they would move away from God and they would begin to worship Baal and and Ashtoreth and they would go into those ceremonies, particularly of Ashtoreth, and it was just an unmitigated, terrible thing that they would commit with their own bodies. They liked it. The flesh was pleased when they did that. Bottom line is this, they could not do that and be right with God. And what does that mean to you and to me this morning? Remember this, we live in the day of grace and aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful today that Jesus paid it all? And all to him I owe, sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. So I'm thankful for God's mercy and grace through the cross and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for that in my life. But my friends, that does not mean that we've been given a license to sin. Even though we're people of grace, Paul writes and he says, do we continue to sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Just know this. Understand this today. The same God who was the God who dealt with the Israelites is the same God to whom we interact and with whom we interact today. Same God. He hasn't changed. He was holy then. He is holy now. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And so often we construct idols in our lives. Let me just tell you something. When you do that, God has a way of tearing those idols down. And God can often do things that make us think about where we are in our relationships with Him. The point is this. If there is anything between you and God this morning, that thing or that person or that idea is your idol. Could be sports. Could be academics. Could be your job could be your children, could be your parents. It could be all sorts of things. But that which comes between you and God, that that owns more of your affection than God does, has become an idol to you, and you need to call it what it is. You need to recognize your sin, but it's not enough just to recognize it. That's step number one, first step to revival is recognizing sin in your life, but the second step is repenting of sin. 
Notice what happens here. Samuel tells it just like it is. He's the Old Testament equivalent of a firebrand Baptist preacher. He just tells it like it is. He says, if you do return, notice that word, return. The Hebrew word there means to stop in your tracks with where you're heading, think about it, think about the better place, turn around and make your way back to the better place. Teshuvah in the Hebrew language, the Old Testament. Metanoia in the Greek language of the New Testament. Both are translated as repent. Metanoia means a changing of your mind that issues in a changing of your direction. One of my favorite studies in American Christianity is the figure Billy Sunday. Have you ever heard of Billy Sunday? Billy Sunday was one of the first great evangelists. You know, people like Billy Graham and others have kind of come along building on the work of Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was a former professional baseball player. He was an alcoholic and God saved him, pulled him up from that. And Billy Sunday spent the rest of his life preaching the gospel and doing these big crusades, these great tents would be erected and they'd put sawdust down on the ground. And so historians called it the sawdust trail. And Billy Sunday would blaze all over America preaching the sawdust trail, preaching on the sawdust trail. But he he would do this. He would begin in a lot of his messages talking about repentance. And then he would look at his audience and he would say, I'm now going to show you what repentance really is. Now remember, he was very athletic, great baseball player. And so Billy Sunday would start at one end of the stage. And he would say, now everybody look at me. I'm going to walk to the other end of the stage, and then I'm going to come back to this end. Because this end is where I need to be. And so he would start walking across the stage, and then all of a sudden he would stop and plant his feet. He would jump up in the air. And he had the ability to twist his body and do a 180 in the air and come down, headed the other direction. I thought about demonstrating that for you this morning. But I spent a lot of energy being happy for the cats yesterday. Got my UK tie on this morning. It's not an idol, but I do love the cats. But anyway, Billy Sunday would do that. He would say, I'm going this way, jump up in the air, turn his body around, hit down on his feet, heading another direction, and then he would stop, look at the crowd and say, I have just illustrated for you exactly what repentance is. My friend, that's what the Bible is talking about here. When Samuel looks at the Israelites and says, you have to return. They were headed the wrong direction. They had to stop their momentum, turn around, and head back to God. I'm afraid that often when we understand our sin, we we get sorry for our sin. 
We cry a little bit over our sin. But I want you to see, that's not what the Bible's talking about here. The Bible is talking about stopping what you're doing and turning around and heading back the other direction. You see it there? He says, if you're doing this and you're doing it with your heart, put away the false gods. Ashtoreth has to be gone. You must prepare your heart and you must serve Him only. If there are other things in our lives this morning that we're giving more time to, more credence to, more affection to, God is calling us to stop that and to serve Him only. Now, we can do these other things because often they're great gifts of God in our lives. But when they take the place of God, then I'm afraid sometimes we're just going through the motions. Well, I must hurry. I want you to understand what Samuel does here. Verses 9 and 10, you can go back and read it later. But he, he takes a young suckling lamb and he offers it up as a whole burnt offering. And I want you to understand what was implied there. That meant that Samuel put the weight of his body upon that lamb. And in that act, God would transfer the sins of the people to that lamb, and then they would offer it up as a burnt offering, and in that they would find the Lord's forgiveness. I'm thankful today that we don't have to do that. Because the Bible says we, we have one sacrifice. Beloved, you have one sacrifice today and his name is the Lord Jesus the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 21 for our sake he God made him Jesus to be sin he who knew no sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God and here's the point today You stand completely forgiven in Christ. We sing it in the old hymn, My sin, all the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Here's what I'm trying to say to you today. God has already forgiven you. You're forgiven. What sins does God cleanse when you come to Jesus? Your past sins? Yes. But also your present sins and your future sins. God has forgiven you, but there are these critical moments in our lives when we must just come to God as our Heavenly Father and confess our wrongdoing. Already forgiven. Does Jesus die another time? No. I feel sorry for some of our friends who believe that when the elements, the bread, the wine are lifted in their service, that it becomes another offering of the Lord Jesus Christ dying 
for their transgressions, the Bible says, once and for all. Jesus has died. There's remission once and for all, but there are these moments where we need to repent and just simply enjoy the forgiveness that God has already provided through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want revival, you recognize your sin, you repent of your sin. Now are you ready for some quick good news? I know I'm out of time, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. If your biscuits burn, just give me the bill, all right? When you recognize your sin and you're willing to do something about it, you repent, then you're in position to get revived. You receive the victory that God wants to give you. And that's exactly what happens right here in this passage of Scripture. Notice that after they repent, after the sacrifice, God delivered them out of the hands of the Philistines. I love verse 10 of this passage. The Bible says that right in the middle of that moment when Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in the battle. But what does God do? God thunders, the Bible says. They didn't have to do anything. God did it for them. God thundered with a great thunder upon the Philistines. Discomfited. We don't use that word discomfited much. When's the last time you were talking to your good friend on the phone and said, you know, I was discomfited yesterday? You know what that means, though. God interrupted the plans of the Philistines. What Israel could not do, God did. And my dear friends, that's revival. For us to get out of the way, repent of our sins and say, God, I need a fresh filling, I need a fresh anointing, I need you, Lord, to do for me what I can't do. God will step in and God will give the victory. Well, notice the rest of the story. After God did that, the Philistines were defeated. In verse 12, Scripture says, Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called the name of it, what church? Ebenezer. So you see here, they're moving. They've moved. From Ichabod, the glory has departed to Ebenezer, which simply means, according to Scripture here, hitherto has the Lord helped us. In other words, they put down their memorial and they said, this is the day we got right with God. And we learned all over again that God has not deserted us And that God has not forgotten us, but God came in. God stepped in. God defeated our enemy, and God gave the victory. Here I raise mine, Ebenezer, hither by thy help I come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger. Wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood.
God did a great and glorious thing for the Israelites. And as Paul Harvey would say, you see the rest of the story, they, the Philistines, never bothered Israel again all through the ministry of Samuel. Now that's victory. That's grace. And that's God's power. You're here today, most of you, because somewhere there's an Ichabod that turned into an Ebenezer in your life. I can tell you where it happened for me. This 10-year-old boy, convicted of my sins. And one morning while I was already for church, I was waiting on mom and sis, I got under such conviction that I bowed my head before the Lord. And I said, Jesus, today I want you to save me. I'm lost. I'll go to hell, Lord, if you don't save me. And so I surrender my life to you right now. Listen, at that point in time, I raised an Ebenezer. But may I tell you that dotted throughout the history of my life, there are many moments where I've been away from the Lord, even though I'm a saved man. I'm not perfect. Some of you have a hard time believing that, right? No, listen. I'm not perfect. And sometimes I stray. And sometimes you stray. But aren't we thankful today for a God of grace? A God of grace who always pursues and who always brings us back. And there are many places. Time would fail me today if I shared with you all those moments in my life where I've raised an Ebenezer. You may be here this morning, and today is the day, October the 1st, 2023. God's calling you to raise an Ebenezer. Maybe you're here and you have never raised one. In other words, you've never come to the Lord for salvation through Jesus Christ. I ask you to come today. You might be saying, well, I'm, I'm waiting on homecoming. I'm waiting on... Don't wait. Tomorrow's not promised. Come today. Perhaps you're here this morning, Christian friend, and you're wayward. You're away from the Lord. You're backslidden. And your life's not what it ought to be. And the power of God is not resting upon you the way that it could and today is the day that you repent, already forgiven, but repent. Own up to it before the Lord. And like David of old prayed, Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Maybe somebody needs to come and find your altar of prayer today and just pray for the Lord to bring you back to where you need to be. And you can move 
from Ichabod to Ebenezer. Would you stand with me and bow your heads? As we're beginning to pray and people have their heads bowed and their eyes closed, I just wonder if someone might just simply raise their hand today and say, Brother Allen, would you pray for me? Would you remember me? Because I'm not where I ought to be with the Lord. Just raise your hand. I'm not going to, God bless you. God bless you. Hands across the room. My prayer for you today is that this becomes a moment of Ebenezer moving to a time of glory and joy and restoration in your heart and in your life. God may be calling you to come forward, and if that's His calling on you, I'm going to ask you to do that. Maybe you just need to sit down and be praying. Maybe you need to stand there and find your altar in your heart and just bring it to the Lord and ask Him to restore you. Thank Him for His forgiveness, but call out your sin and ask the Lord to bring you back to that place where you can say, I raise my Ebenezer today. If you're here and you need to come and receive Jesus, we'll counsel with you, we'll pray with you, whatever you need. Just let God have His way. Let Him be glorified in your heart and in your life. If you're in Ichabod, you don't have to stay there. God wants you to come. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these moments, Lord. We love you today. Forgive us, Lord, for when we go astray. Father, thank you that you're a God of grace that always brings us back. Father, if there's one today that needs to be restored, one who needs to repent, Father, if there are those who need to come and do it publicly, I pray you would lead through your Holy Spirit and just have your will and your way in our hearts and lives. I ask it in Jesus' name. And amen. As we begin to sing, if you need to step out, if you need to come, would you come?